Let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 56. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Uh, God was about to deliver the children of Israel from their Babylonian captivity. And in doing so, he tells them that they need to keep righteousness and judgment or justice and judgment. And then his righteousness will be revealed. So he encourages them in spite of the trials that they're going through. You know, Ron and Sharon saying that. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. They needed God's protection while they were in captivity. They needed God's protection of old. And we need God's protection in the midst of all the trials that we go through. But this whole chapter, maybe, or I shouldn't say the whole chapter, but the first eight verses have to do with the salvation is, that God has will be enjoyed by strangers and eunuchs. Strangers and servants join unto, join unto the Lord to serve Him. And to love the name of the Lord in verses 1 through 8. And then verses 9 through 12, you have the condition of the shepherds of Israel. And they're spoken of in terms of unfaithful watchmen. As, and we'll have them described as we go along and expound it. But as we look at verses 1 through 8, and we find what God does for strangers and servants or the eunuchs that He will accept who were before not included in God's house and were forbidden to enter into God's fellowship in the Old Testament. If you go back and read, and I won't read it for you because there's some of the language you may I'd rather read in private, but Deuteronomy 23, verses 1 through 3, you'll find where that the eunuchs, made so by accident, etc., were not permitted to enter into the house of the Lord and the congregation of the Lord. And the Ammonites and the Moabites were accursed people, they couldn't enter, and we know that Ruth was a Moabitess, and she had to enter into the to the blessings of God through Boaz, and this by grace, didn't she? So, what the law could not do to save people, God in grace does save them. And God is showing here that He will accept men of all nations and of all people. And we'll get into more of that as we go along. But let's look at verse 1. Thus said the Lord, Keep ye judgment and do justice. For my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. So God is encouraging people to live right and to do right, and to remember his Sabbath, and uh, the Sabbath day, and to keep it. And of course, in those days, they were encouraged to keep the Sabbath day, even as you and I are encouraged to, to remember the Lord's day. And keep it holy. And so, then it says in verse uh, 3, Neither let the son of the stranger that join himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. So, the stranger and the eunuch, neither one could be spoken of, or uh, were they were not really due to, to say, or they should not have said that they were not welcome into God's house. Because God is going to show that He has included them. And from the time previous to this, and many times in the Old Testament under law, they were restricted. And they were forbidden. Remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy and the law, that the strangers were not permitted to, to enter into the, the congregation of the Lord? The eunuch was not permitted to enter in the congregation of the Lord, and they were more or less shut out from the blessings of God. And and the Moabite and the Amorite, uh, the Ammonite, were uh, forbidden because they were the cursed 
racist from the two daughters of, of, of uh, Lot by an illicit uh, sexual relationship and therefore God brought a curse upon those two nations that, that came from, from that, uh, from Lot. And uh, so they were a cursed generation and cursed nation and cursed people. And so we find that in the book of Ruth that Ruth was a Moabitess and Ruth could not, could not enter into the congregation of God and into the blessings of God except it be by grace. And so she found grace in the eyes of Boaz and Boaz, symbolical of Christ, who is greater than the law, redeemed her from the curse that she was under and accepted her and she became, uh, of course, eventually the wife of Boaz. Boaz means a kinsman redeemer and he was the kinsman redeemer that saved her from her situation. And so it's typical of Christ who saved us from under the, re- the curse of the law. The Bible says that for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, a sin offering, for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So it says what the law could not do. Boaz could have said, what the law could not do, I'm going to do. Here, Isaiah could have said, what the law could not do previous, God is going to do for you strangers and eunuchs anyway, and permit you to come in by faith. In verse 4 it says, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. You see, they keep a Sabbath, they chose the things that pleased God, and they took hold of His covenant, they embraced God's covenant. They were willing to obey God. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name. Now look. Better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now what does he mean better than, than, better than sons and daughters? He's saying that the spiritual blessings that will come upon the strangers and upon the eunuchs will be a better blessing than those of Israel that are natural seed, the physical and material blessings that belong to them, that are sons and daughters of the nation of Israel. Of course, all the spiritual seed will have blessings as well. But he's showing that a spiritual relationship is better than the physical and earthly relationship. When he says better than a name better than of sons and of daughters, because we know that the sons and daughters are a great relationship. And for the Israelite and for his family, it was a great relationship. But to have a spiritual relationship on top of that, or beside that, or notwithstanding that, would be greater than having that earthly, physical, and fleshly relationship that was referred to here. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now verse 6 says, Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord, to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, Every one that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Remember, that's what Jesus said when he cleansed the temple. When they, were, they had taken the place, you turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 17. Let's read verse 15 through 17. Mark 11, verses 15 through 17. 
And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he talked, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of, of all nations the house of prayer? The house of prayer for all nations, if you have a marginal reference. But ye have made it a den of thieves. So they were taking, they were abusing the privilege in God's house. They were taking all the space up that the Gentiles should have had for a place of worship outside of the doors of the temple. We call the temple grounds. There was a court of the Gentiles. And they were uh, claiming that the Gentiles could just be pushed aside. In other words, never mind them. We're the privileged people. But he said, he's quoting from Isaiah here, he says that God says that his house is a house of prayer for all nations. You know, it's a peculiar thing when we look into God's Word and we look back and we see that God did choose a nation and a people, the children of Israel. And he kept kept them to himself. And they were a privileged people and a redeemed people and a chosen people with many privileges that other nations did not have. But that did not mean that God would not ultimately include and did push out all other people at that same time. Because there were people that were saved in the Old Testament uh, by faith, just as uh, we're saved today by grace through faith, the Gentile world. And God intended that all men be saved, regardless of race, creed, color, standing in society, social standing, or whatever. If you have an opportunity to hear the gospel, it's your privilege to be saved. And Many of the Jews, even in the days of Jesus, and Peter had to learn that after Jesus died and went back to heaven. Peter had to learn that when he went to the house of Cornelius, remember? What did he say? When he went to the house of Cornelius, 10th chapter of Acts, when he comes there, uh, verse 33 says this, uh, Cornelius says, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, he sent for Peter, and thou hast well, now well done, thou hast well done that thou art come, now therefore... Are we all here, present before God, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? So here's Cornelius. He's willing to do what God wants him to do. And then it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, look at this, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And he goes back to bring the message of Israel right on down to the time where Cornelius could hear the message. Verse 43 says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And then the house of Cornelius, Cornelius and all of his household were saved and they opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Peter officially did that. But before he would do that, Peter had to have this vision God sent him a vision of a sheep knit by four corners and all kinds of animals unclean and clean coming down from heaven, as it were. And God said, Peter, rise up, Peter, slay and eat. And he says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. Nothing like this has touched my lips. And God said, what God has cleansed, why do you call common or unclean? And he took it by that, that even the unclean Gentiles, as they were known to be, or Gentile dogs or unclean people, were included in God's plan of salvation. You know, we sing that song, He included me. When the Lord said, Whosoever He included me. So, He included all. He included those poor people over in Iraq. Those poor people that are suffering and hungry because of their dictator. He included them. He wants them to be saved. The Arabs, the Jews, the people in Australia, 
We have a missionary that's gone over to Australia. They're over in Australia, and they say they're, they're not just a few hundred or a few thousand, but there are millions of Arab-speaking people over there that they have the privilege to, to witness to. And so, uh, it's a wonderful thing that God has included all of us in the plan of salvation. And we need to remember that the Scripture teaches that in, even in the Old Testament. You know, a lot of people have a dividing line between Malachi and Matthew and say, that Old Testament, God never saved anybody over there and He is all under the law and is all never any grace. God showed grace to the house of Naaman. Naaman was a Gentile, wasn't he? told him to go wash in Jordan and his leprosy would disappear. And God came to him and he gave, came to the widow. You know, Jesus refers to a couple of Gentiles that the Lord dealt with in the Old Testament and it made the Jews mad, didn't it? When he says, unto none of them was, he, was uh, the prophet sent, but to these two. And he spoke of, spoke of them. Well, here in the Old Testament, God is showing that he cares. And he cares about... All people. Now look, let's look at verse uh, 7 again. It says, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifice shall be accepted upon mine altar. Now, of course, now since Jesus, they do not have to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices. That was all for the Old Testament. For mine house shall be called in a house of prayer for all people. And Jesus quotes this. And after he sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary, there's not any need for Jew nor Gentile to present that, those kind of sacrifices that were under the Old Testament economy. Now look at verse 8. <clears throat> verse 8 says, The Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. What does God say? He's the one that's going to gather the outcasts of Israel. He gathered the outcasts of Israel from Babylonian captivity. He, he has gathered, gathered the outcasts of Israel already to their homeland in unbelief, but he's going to gather the outcast of Israel in a future time in the book of Revelation, in the tribulation period, and bring them back to their homeland, and they will no more be pulled up out of their land. We referred in our Sunday school just a Sunday or two ago about when Amos prophesied that when God reestablishes the tabernacle of David, the house of David that has fallen down, and when this is done... Uh, and he brings Israel safely into their homeland in the millennium that they shall no more, they shall no more be pulled up out of their land. Well, we know that that time has not yet come because from time to time they've been uh, yanked up out of their land uh, time and again. And uh, when it's all fulfilled in perfect harmony with God's Word, there will not be that problem anymore. And it's the Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel. Look in verse 8. Yet I will gather, will I gather others to him? We might say that, you remember when Jesus said that he laid down his life for the sheep? He says, other sheep I have which are not of this fold. This may be the other sheep Jesus is referring to. Other people that God will gather. I don't know what chapter it is. Maybe 49. Let's see if it is 49. I'll, I'll find it right quick if I can. Maybe a little before that. Uh, 40, but back here, there's, he says, he brings his sons, it's 43. Chapter 43, look at verse 5, 5 through 7. Isaiah 43, he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. So he gathers the outcasts of Israel. See, it's in harmony. God's word harmonizes. 
Then he says, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Now then, even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yeah, I have made him. So he's talking about, and then he goes on, bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations, verse 9, be gathered together. So God includes his own people that are scattered and he also includes the Gentile nations and world and people. If they will but repent. The only thing that's necessary for you and I to be included is to be repentant, believing sinners and, and realize our need and the same for all people over all the world. The same message will go forth to them. I want you to look now at verse 9. Verses 9, you have a passage in Isaiah 56 now. Verses 9 through 12 show us the condition of the shepherds of Israel. And they're seen down in verse 10 as uh, his watchmen. Now then, let's read verse 9. All ye beasts of the field come to devour. Yea, all ye beasts of the, uh, in the forest... His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which, which can never have enough. Which, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. Shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Every one for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. Now when you consider these unfaithful watchmen, notice first of all it says in verse 10, they are blind. Blindness. In being blind, they see not, if they're watchmen and they're the shepherds, on down in verse 11 it says they're shepherds, and they are shepherds in the middle of the verse. So his shepherds are supposed to be watchmen over the flock and to take care of the flock. His prophets were supposed to be watchmen uh, on the tower and on the wall, watching for the approach of the wicked uh, enemies. So they're blind. They see not the danger of the wicked. Remember, Jesus spoke of blind leaders of the blind, and they both stumble and fall into the ditch. That's why you and I need to be enlightened with God's Word so we will be enlightened preachers and teachers and Christians so that the people that we try to witness to and to lead will have the true guidance that they need. There are plenty of blind leaders of the blind today. They go by their dreams. You know, uh, Jeremiah speaks of those that go by their dreams and their visions and say, well, you know, God said, and God says, no, I, I didn't even speak to you. I had nothing to do with that. You you imagined it out of your own own." Uh, Imagination. Look in the book of Jeremiah 23, I believe it is. Jeremiah 23. Look at verse 26. We'll read a few verses. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Jeremiah 23, verse 26. Now follow it. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Well, if they're lies, it's not the truth, is it? And how did it originate? Yea, they are the prophets of deceit of their own heart. It came out of their own heart. Remember, there was a fellow that devised his own religion out of his own heart back in in the Old Testament in the Kings. Okay, now look. Which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. 
The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. Just let him tell it as a dream, too, not as the truth. Let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What's the prophet to do? What's the preacher to do? Tell you about all his personal experiences. And I know this happened because, you know, you know, a personal experience is good if you just don't tell it every time you get up. You know what I mean? Once in a while. In fact, usually about once or twice in the whole course of time. But see, a lot of people, they want you to just live on what happened to them yesterday. Well, you know, if God did something wonderful for you, share it with us. We'll rejoice in it. But that's not the whole proof of God because you may be mis- mistaking some of them. You may be, be misreading some of what happened to you. Now then, I hope that a lot of it happened to you because it was a true uh, answer to your prayer or whatever the reason that God was protecting you or whatever the, the problem was. But you know, there's a lot of preachers, you see them on the television, that cannot get up and preach a sermon without going back and telling you the same story that they told every Sunday for 30 years. That's sad. And if it was true then, it's still true. But it might have been, you know, a dream then. Let's look at it. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheel? saith the Lord. What's he referring to? The chaff is like that dream, and the wheat's like the pure word of God. He says, what is that What is that chaff to the wheat? Even if there's any merit at all in it, it even if it's true and not a lie. But he's talking about prophets that prophesy lies. But even if it's true, it's still like chaff to the wheat. It's not the real grain of God's word. God has exalted his word above all of our interpretations and imaginations and our feelings and our emotions and whatever we think or or think we know. He's exalted His Word above that. We can stand upon the Word. But you can't stand on all these other things because sometimes the person will be telling the story true and sometimes it will be filled with a lot of uh, emotional feelings that make it untrue in some aspects to get his point over. You've heard people say they want to put it on the top shelf. And sometimes they do that in order to exaggerate what really happened and magnify. The Bible says God has magnified... Listen carefully. God has magnified His Word above all His name. You turn to Psalm 138, I believe. It's verse 2. You might check it. See if I'm right. I better turn. Check myself out. Psalm 138. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Well, now we know God's name is magnified. He's given Jesus a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus everything in heaven and earth and under the earth uh, should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he's exalted his own name. He's omnipotent God. And yet he says, I've magnified my word above all my name. Why would God say that about his word? You know why? Because we only know his name by his word. We only know the plan of salvation by his word. We only know anything of God in truth that we can depend on by his word. You say, well, we know by nature. Well, we know some things by nature, but they don't have the the authenticity uh, as the Word of God does to teach us where we stand, where God came from, what we're doing here, where we're going, what we need as far as salvation. It doesn't do all that. So that's why God has magnified His Word. I was 
teaching there in Jeremiah. Let me go ahead and finish that. You still have Jeremiah open 23, verse 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, his word will break the hardest heart? Have you seen some macho men out there and they say, you know, I'm so, I can do my own thing. They seem to be more or less immune to God's word. And when, the, when God's word hits that spot of their heart that really catches their attention and brings conviction, that great, big, old, huge, mighty, muscled guy will fall before God and say, God, I need you. I need you. And God has a way of getting our attention. Job says, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. And God speaks in various ways. Alright, let's go on. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that say, that use their tongues and say. Now, here's what they do. They use their tongues and say, He saith. He saith. I see some of these guys on television. They say, God told me. Did he? I want to know about that. And it says here, they'll say, He saith. Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, and do tell them, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their likeness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. It says, And when this people, or the prophet, or priest, shall ask of thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say unto them, What burden? I will even forsake you, saith the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people that, that shall say the burden, of the burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. And on and on. Okay, let's go back to Isaiah 56. We've just got a few minutes to finish this. But notice what it says here. First of all, in verse 10, Isaiah 56, 10, His watchmen are blind. They're blind. They see not the danger of the wicked. They see not the danger of, of error. And then they're ignorant, without knowledge. Notice, they are all ignorant. That means they don't have any knowledge of what is true. And then they're cowardly. It says they cannot bark. They're like dumb dogs that cannot bark. If you have a watchdog, you sure at least want him to... Daryl's got a little dog there and the thing barks at least. His bark may be bigger than his bite, but he at least makes a noise when something's going on. You have a dumb dog that just lays down there on the ground and here comes a guy and takes everything out and he looks up there. Guy throws him a biscuit or something. Fine, thank you. Go on. (laughs) Takes everything out. That's a kind of a dumb dog, isn't it? And he doesn't warn of anything. And he's a cow. A lot of times they they just back off in the corner and say, take it all. I don't need anything. So anyway, you have that kind of an attitude in some. And cannot bark. They're sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. In other words, they're lazy. Laziness. Dreaming. Sleeping. Lying down. The word dreaming comes into view. And then they're selfish. Look at verse 11. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. Greedy dogs. You ever seen people that just never can be satisfied? And they are shepherds that cannot understand. You see, they're, they're selfish. They never have enough. And their recklessness is seen. They're shepherds that cannot understand. They look to their own way. They're very reckless in their responsibilities. They fill themselves with strong drink. Look in verse 12. It says, Come ye, come ye, say they, I will fetch wine and will, 
and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. In other words, that's recklessness. For the watchman and for the shepherds of Israel, the one that's supposed to be taking care of God's people, and what are they doing? Fill themselves with wine and, and with strong drink. And, and tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. They say tomorrow will be more abundant than today. So they're selfish and looking only to sell. So you find the condition of the shepherds of Israel as seen in these uh, unfaithful watchmen in the latter part of this chapter. So the first part shows us what? That the Gentiles, that the servants, the eunuchs, that all nations are welcome to God and all people who call upon the name of the Lord. And then the latter part shows us here those that were... uh, Seen as taking care of God's people, the condition of these shepherds of Israel were signified and pictured in this, uh, in the watchmen or the shepherds that are spoken of there. Blindness, ignorant, dumb, lazy, selfish, reckless, all of these things characterize what they were doing. Well, we don't want that to be said of you and I. And by the way, if you and I are servants of God, we've got a responsibility. We've got a great responsibility, not only in word, but in deed. And so our whole life has to be taken into consideration. It's one whole. It's not a separated thing by what we say and what we do, a different thing. It's all collective. It's what we say and what we do and how we live and the length of it. And to finish the course, Paul said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished, kept the faith. I've finished the course. He says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them also. You and I can have it as well. That love is appearing. So, I think on what we studied, we can learn to give the witness to everyone. We can also learn to be faithful instead of unfaithful witnesses, shepherds, watchmen, preachers, teachers, laymen, Christians, all of us.